as you know, now more than ever, we have to look out for each other and count on each other. Marathon wants you to know that you can count on them for high-quality, top-tier gas. Marathon gasolines are formulated with STP additives. They keep your vehicle running at peak performance by optimizing fuel economy, removing those ugly deposit buildups, and by reducing emissions. And right now, you can get five cents off of every gallon every day with Make It Count Rewards from Marathon. Plus, you can earn points for additional savings on fuel, airfare, hotels, and more. This is definitely a deal you can count on. It's quick and easy to join. Just download the free Make It Count app or go to makeitcount.com slash radio, and you can start saving today. The offer is valid only at participating Marathon stations. And remember, wherever you need to go, be safe. The people at Marathon are behind you all the way. Hopefully you caught last night's final two episodes of The Last Dance. We're all sad that it's over. But if you want to relive the magic and go behind the scenes of the making of this documentary event, check out our guys Jalen and Jacoby. Because every Sunday night immediately following the broadcast, they've welcomed director Jason Hare to talk about the film. It's called Jalen and Jacoby, The After Show. And it's presented by State Farm and AT&T. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Joined on this lovely Sunday evening, which we're taping before the last dance. Some of us on this podcast have seen it all. Some of us have not. I have not. That said, we're still going to talk about it. Uh, joining us from Los Angeles. Actually, are you in the city of Los Angeles? No, you're you're in the... Or should I not say where you live? That's fine. I, I, I think people, like, people have no idea where I live because it's just seen as like, over the hill, right? Like, if you live in Los Angeles, I'd be in the side of um, L.A. where in Clueless, you know, Cher will just be like, oh, the valley, right? Like <laughs> right? That's where I live. But if it if it helps anyone to orient where I actually live, I live near Sierra Canyon, where LeBron James is kid. You do. You yeah. do live very close. A very short <laughs> yeah. drive by yep. L.A. standards to Sierra Canyon. Um, and joining us from Austin, Texas, or do you live in some uh, free-free <laughs> uh, suburb, Kirk Goldsberry? Um, Santa Fe Ranch or something like that. No, I live right in the uh, heart of Austin, Texas, in the grid of, of the center of the city. Oh, so I am right in the belly of the beast down here. A fantastic weed. I am a bit of a connoisseur of um, of uh, state houses. And it's, yep. a, it's a beautiful state house that Texas has. It's gorgeous. Um, they did a great job. My home state of, <laughs> my home state of Ohio has a terrible and a lame State house, and I, I'll say it again: they have a terrible and a lame state house, and it's <laughs> it's not acceptable for the great state of Ohio. And so I feel like I I can comment. I, I, I for example, I can say that the state capital of Wyoming, um, in Cheyenne, bleeps all over Ohio's state capital building. Wow! And West Virginia has a much better state capital too, um, and that's it's embarrassing to say that because you know Ohio treats West Virginia like it's a stepchild and it's sad on that. By the way, I've been in many state capitol buildings mm-hmm. and uh, Maryland uh, in Annapolis has a spectacular uh, state capitol building. Not as grand ah. as some of the other ones, but uh, Maryland is a great state capitol building. I think Tex- right. Texas is the best, though. I have to get that in there. Right. That's one. There you go. Um, all right. We talk about the NBA. So um, – so I haven't seen the last dance. We'll be watching later tonight. No, no, Brian. Here, no one has seen it. Like the, everyone has it. seen one through eight. Oh, no one has seen, seen nine and ten. Oh, Seriously. so you ha- 
So wait no. a minute. You haven't seen it? No, I have not. Okay. And I'm telling you, what happened was they released one through eight to a lot of different people, media and some of the participants in the in the um you know, they, like they gave copies to Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and, and Steve Kerr and stuff, right? If you want to watch them. I'm glad Michael Jordan. Um, I'm sure Michael Jordan's yeah, seen nine and ten. I'm pretty sure he's seen them. Um, but although I've heard he's actually like not a, you know, a, a tough note giver. Like he's, you know, he's not, this isn't like Kobe here, right? <laughs> God, Chopper do a whole new film. Um, this, you know, <laughs> I've seen detail. Uh, I'm sure, detail. you know, uh, Kobe, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure may go frame by frame. Yeah. So, uh, Michael Cena, but like what ended up happening is uh, nine and 10 were the last two that they had to do. And I talked to the director yesterday and he said they actually cut these during the pandemic. Like while one through eight have been running, they've been making nine and 10. Like they actually just finally got the, the last cut of episode 10 done on Thursday. Like that's how down to the wire they've done. And it's it's really a different kind of experience for all of them, because normally you'd have like screenings and people would have notes on each episode. Like for nine and ten, every single minute of that has been cut since the pandemic began. So he hasn't seen it even on like a regular screen. He's seen it only on his laptop. Well, I'm every most of the people who've listened listen to this pod have seen it by now. Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I think that there's a decent chance um, that the Bulls win in the end. I'm not 100% sure, but I think Bolzman. Yeah. But, but you have something. Um, so this podcast, we're taping this Sunday evening. It's going to roll out on Monday morning. And you have a story running Monday morning around the time this podcast is coming out, Ramona, where you got an interview with Jerry Reinsdorf, the longtime owner of the Chicago Bulls. Um, you want to let us know what's in that story that uh, maybe you've read or maybe you are going to read soon? Well, yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, watching this even from episode one on, right. I'm one of, what's our biggest reaction to it is like, how the hell did the bulls let Jerry Krause torpedo this dynasty? Right. It does it. I mean, I know he built it. He was a great GM. Even Scotty Pippen says in the last episode, you know, I played with the, the greatest player of all time for the greatest coach of all time and with the greatest general manager of all time. I mean, yeah, Jerry Krause was great. But how did this little how did this conflict between Kraus and Phil Jackson and the team end up torpedoing this? Like, why didn't they just fire Kraus? Like in the modern NBA, like that guy would be gone, right? And that's I think what everybody wants to know from Reinsdorf. Like, did this really have to be the last dance? Could you have done anything different to change things? Um, could you have fired Jerry? Could you have stepped in? Could you have gotten Phil and and, uh, and Kraus to back on the same page? Could you have paid Scottie Pippen? And a lot of uh, what we talked about in this is, you know, one, he tried. He actually did. He went to Michael Jordan um, after the season and said, hey, Michael, you know, we've done this before. We, we, this is three in a row. I, I know what the team wants to defend the title. I, you know, everybody's a year older. I know this felt like the last dance and all that. But don't, don't give me your answer right now. We're at the beginning of the lockout. Let me work on Phil. I don't know how long this is going to last. It could be months. It ended up being all the way into the next year. Um, and let, let me just see if I can get Phil. And Michael said, okay, you know what? If you, if you can get Phil, I'm in. And so months go by. This was July 3rd. Jerry said it was July 3rd of that year, 1998. So just a few weeks after they win the last title. And he has this meeting. Months go by. The lockout's going on. And uh, he still can't get Phil. Phil's off in Montana. He's sort of moved on to different things. I think he might have gone off to Australia with Luke Longley or something. Um, and I think Phil had just gotten to this place mentally where he just said it was time. It's not, it's not necessarily me and Krause or can we coexist or anything like that. 
I think he Phil just felt like it really had run its course, like too much blood had been spilled and they had already had all these goodbyes and everybody had, you know, kind of made their peace with it. Plus he knew that Krause wanted to turn over the team. Like there was a lot of free agents that were going to move on. Um, And Phil has this great part in 11 rings where he talks about one of the Buddhist teachings of like, you know, I know that you can only really transform yourself when you really truly let go. And, you know, you have to just subject yourself to total annihilation over and over and over in order to, to evolve. Um, And Phil had gotten his, his head in that place. I think Phil was also really tired. Um, So by the time Ryan Sorf came to Phil, Towards the end of the lockout, Phil was just, you know, it was, there was a no go. And it's, well, seems, let me, let me just say crazy, something. Right? Let me yeah. just say something. Like, I wasn't covering the bull. I was in, yeah. I was in college, college. <laughs> uh-huh. I can't, like, I guess I'll take Jerry, or Jerry Reinsdorf at his word. And I guess I'll say that this wasn't him trying to fudge the record now that this has been out there. Yeah. Cause it's, cause my guess is it's not going to look very good. But Tim Floyd was, was hired, like, in late July. Well, they were trying. Yeah, they were, that was already kind of lined up. Right. But Michael had, Michael didn't make it official that he was going to retire for much longer. Right. Michael didn't necessarily, he, I don't think he officially announced it until like January when the lockout is over. And one of the things that Ryan Zorf points out, which is essentially, you know, Michael goes and he's playing in like a golf tournament in January and even though they'd had this discussion in July, you know, et cetera, Michael, uh, Michael cut his finger with a cigar cutter. Yeah. yeah and it was a really severe right. finger injury, right? He ends up having like I, two I surgeries. Think, on isn't it. that why his finger is like, if you look at the, uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of sideways. <laughs> yeah. So even though you, even though he tried to get, you know, this back together one last time. I think Phil was right. I think it really was just time. I think when you watch this, Brian, like, I mean, don't you just feel like they're exhausted? Like by the end of this, especially. Well, I've know. been around some team, you know, again, yep. I wasn't in the locker room, but I've yep. been around, I've been, I've been around teams that have been in this situation. Yep. Look, I covered, I covered the heat on a daily basis. Who went to four straight finals. I covered the Cavs, went to four straight last year. I was covering the Warriors throughout. I covered the Warriors playoff run last year. They were in their fifth straight. I can certainly, yes. Yeah. I can certainly understand that. Yeah, um, by the way, Jordan, so a couple of things. Tim Floyd was hired July 23rd, uh, 1998, so about a month after they won. Right. Now, having said that, if Jordan says he's coming back, they could have they could have just pushed right. Floyd out and said, okay, well, <laughs> you are hereby, uh, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, no, no, we've already hired Tim Floyd. No, we, we you can't come back. But, right. I will just again. I can't say that he's wrong. I will just throw that uh, mm-hmm. flag on this. Uh, do you, I mean, uh, Kirk, what do you think about this? Do you do you buy this is sincere that this actually could have gone down, or do you think he's, you know, do you think he's when he knows he's he, you know he's about to get hammered, he's telling Ramona this to try to, um, <laughs> you know, shield a little bit of the the, the fire. I, you know, I can go either way. I think you guys have done a great job summarizing the main points. I would add Dennis Rodman was on his way out of town. Yeah. Scotty Pippen, as well chronicled in the documentary, yeah. was not exactly happy with the ownership or the management based on uh, his contract negotiations heading up into that offseason. He ends up going to Houston. Um, so there was a lot of moving parts. And, geez, could they have gotten it all back for one more year? Maybe. And and on top of that, remember the work stoppage screwed everything up. Yeah, yeah. Everything was sort of it, it would have been a 
It, the Tim Floyd stuff, as I recall, and I was a very young young person, but I, I just don't – I think he was like – the writing was on the wall. It was going to be Tim Floyd, and it just seemed like it was over. So I'd be curious, Ramona, yeah. if, if, as Brian points out, is Ryan sort of trying to revise history? Because it did seem like it was over. The papers, yeah. the papers had made it sound like it was over. I have this memory, and I don't know if this will be on The Last Dance because I haven't seen it. But, um, Phil, I remember the like the after the parade or whatever, Phil basically like saying, see ya, taking a cigar and riding off on a motorcycle. And was like, well, I'm taking my motorcycle to Montana. Have a nice life. And like that (laughs) was it. Bye bye. Um, so I do have that memory of that happening and he was, and he was done too. Well, and here's one of the things that I think that, um, as I've read the diary that he did with Rick Tellender, um, throughout the playoffs, uh, Phil was openly coveting several other men's jobs at that point. Right. I mean, like openly coveting the Lakers job, openly coveting, what were the other, there was another couple of teams that he was sort of tossed his name out there for, um, and I, I think he was, he had already mentally moved on. Like in, mm-hmm. when you reread 11 rings, like he just said, my mind was already gone. I was in another place. Like there's this feeling of finality. And I, I felt like when we covered the warriors last year, um, I remember I had that real feeling all season long where we all were expecting Kevin Durant to leave. Like it just felt like from the very beginning of the year, you were hearing he was already one foot out the door. All um, the warriors were, That's yeah, the sure. warriors felt like that. Um, he, you know, it seemed like that when you were around him, he just didn't want to say it. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want to blame him for not saying, or, you know, but now that we watch the bulls and they just openly said it, it's kind of interesting to see the, the contrast and how they played those things. Um, but sometimes when things are, when you're already starting to talk about it being over, it's, it's probably over, right? Like you don't really put the, the yeah, I'm sure that's that true. I would just say that, um, one of the things that has struck me about this documentary is the little things. I mean, yeah. I remember and I know about Jordan hitting the yeah. shot over over Russell. Okay, yeah. I'm aware of that play. Yeah, it's the little things. Like for example, one of the things that has you know had my head snap back. Now these big time Jordan fans over the last week are like, oh yeah, everybody knows that. Well, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. That when he came back for his first comeback, um, that he he <laughs> when he put on the shorts, he put them on backwards. <laughs> like, that, <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing. That was great, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing, I think this goes all the way back to episode one, which is after they won the 1997 title, they're 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 still soaked in champagne. They're on the the dais, you know. The, the, the title is an hour old, okay, right, right. and they are answering questions about. <laughs> you know, they, Michael is making this impassioned speech about. I think we should, you know, so. People, you know, we get criticized today because we're focused on free agency mm-hmm. months in advance. Here these guys are still <laughs> grasping the trophy and be like, we need to come back next year. So I think the, the, the stunning part of it to me, even though I knew it was true, was just the finality of everything was that, look, this – I don't care if we go 82-0. and 0, I don't care if we win, we win game seven by 65 points. This team is getting broke up broken yeah. up no matter what and that is such a strange thing because it's so hard yeah. to put something together um i could i could understand that they would break up certainly my experience around and and 
you know, this is something that, you know, Kirk, you worked in San Antonio for years that never seemed to influence the Spurs, never seemed to affect the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they always came back year after year, and I always respected the hell out of it that they could say, hey, um, we can win a championship in 1999, and we could also win a championship in uh, in 2014, you know, with, with you know, the same best player and, you know, and have a lot of disappointing losses in between but still win them. Um I can understand that after a run when it's over, everybody's exhausted and they get to July 10th and like, yeah, this is done. What I just could never believe that this was done on October 10th, the previous right. October 10th. Um, well, and Reinsdorf actually says um, in the interview I just did with him this week, he said, you know, I told Jerry Krause that 82 and, you know, Phil, you can go 82 and 0 and you're still gone. Like he told Krause that was a mistake. He told him, he goes, you shouldn't have said that. That was a really stupid comment. And Krause apparently acknowledged to Reinsdorf, said, yeah, that was wrong. But, you know, he couldn't walk it back. And I go, couldn't walk it back or wouldn't walk it back. And one of the more insightful comments I thought he had is, you know, look, Jerry was so proud of himself for discovering Phil Jackson. He really felt like, you know, he he found this guy in the Continental Basketball Association, right, in the CBA, at Albany Patroons and down in Puerto Rico. And and he made this, you know, he, he found Phil. And so he felt like he had been disloyal. And I said, how was Phil disloyal to Krause? And Reinsdorf summarized it as he felt Phil could have done more to get Scotty and Michael from, you know, to, to stop crushing him all the time. And, you know, I've talked to people kind of around the team and around that situation. And I said, well, why did, why was that Phil's job to mend Jerry Krause's fences with Michael and Scotty? Like, when, and why did Krause keep going on the team plane and keep going on the team bus? Like he was just subjecting himself to that kind <laughs> of derision. True. Like when somebody yeah. hates you, like maybe stay away, <laughs> right? Like maybe you should just oh. stop poking the bear and don't say things like organizations with championships, not players, right? Like, like he, he kept antagonizing the situation and making it worse. And I think that, there was probably only two ways that this could have changed. One, Ryansdorf could have just fired Kraus, just cho- chose the players and Phil over Kraus by Jerry, right? But, you, but Ryansdorf doesn't do that. He, right. you know, he just changed right. his first. He just yeah. changed his front office for the first time in twenty years or whatever right. it was, eighteen years. Ryansdorf, his the guy who runs the White Sox, Ken Williams, has been there yeah. for just as long. I mean, Ryansdorf doesn't just fire his GM. He never right. does right. that. Right, and and I think he, you know. What he would do is he would he would push both of them. He would say, "Phil, come on, you're gonna. This is not a fair fight with you and Kraus. You're gonna win this, you know." Well, sometimes when you don't make a decision, you're actually making a decision, right? Um, and I think that's where things really break down, where he doesn't make a decision between the two. And what's kind of sad is um, Ryan sort of said that he and. Phil had lunch maybe many years later when Phil was coaching the Lakers, and you know Ryan Sturff lives in Phoenix. So he reaches out to Kraus and said, you know, Phil wants to talk to you and you know, I think we could bury the hatchet and, and Kraus wasn't into it. He said no. And, you know, Phil actually has told me, uh, you know, he tried to reach out directly um, because both of them had campaigned to get Tex Winter into the Hall of Fame. And he knew he was going to see um, he was going to see Jerry and he appreciated everything he had done for Tex because obviously, you know, Tex was kind of both of their mentors. And uh, he said Jerry was really frosty to him when he saw him at the reception. Like it just had no interest. Well, I will tell you this. Um, Jerry Kraus, I th- it might have been his last interview he did. I can't say for sure. But he did a podcast with Woj mm. um, a few years ago where Woj went to his house and uh, um, and sat with him. And I can tell you, I don't, I haven't listened to it recently, but I can tell you that 
I wouldn't say any of Krauss's um, uh, positions had eroded. I think he was still right. standing. And also, yeah. um, Casey John, apparently Krauss wrote part of a memoir that was never finished and he died mm. before he finished it. Okay. Um, but Casey Johnson, long time of the Chicago Tribune, now he works, I think, for Comcast in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He, at the family's approval, has published sections of the memoir uh, over the last month. Okay. And um, again, <laughs> he is rock steady in that position, in some of those positions. And uh, I, I found it interesting. I listened to a podcast that Ron Artest did with, uh, I believe it was The Athletic recently. And Artest was talking about how Kraus, you know, after Kraus drafted him and he had drafted Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler, and mm-hmm. he was just always talking about number seven. Number seven is going to be the championship of championships. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. so driven to prove yeah. Michael, not necessarily right. to prove them wrong, yeah. but to prove that organizations win championships. And um, I guess he had about four years, I guess, be- okay. before he, f- and the bulls were nowhere close. And that's when he, then he left. But, um, you know, he, he certainly was trying to prove a point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kirk, this is where the owner, you would think okay. would step in and say, Hey, I mean, um, you know, it's legendary in San Antonio, the cooperation RC has with, with pop. I would have thought that, you know, in the, in 2007 or something, had there been a, a fissure that Peter Holt would have stepped in and tried to <laughs> let's make this work boys. But I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Jerry well, Reserve is like that guy. You know, I think you're right. And I think rewatching the last dance with our 2020 glasses on, um, it reveals how much we talk and think about basketball so much differently now. Mm. And what we're talking about here is a bad culture. And we didn't talk about culture in the 90s around organizations. But, yeah, like the owner wasn't on the same page or with maybe two hands off. Uh, The coach didn't get along with the GM. And, man, one of my main takeaways from this, talking about my Spurs experience is when Jordan and Pippen are just ridiculing with such disdain uh, the general manager of the organization. <laughs> right. No kidding. This, this is like a rock band. And like I'm not the first person to make the analogy that the Bulls were the rock stars of the 90s. But, man, it it, it came into the – it was more like Fleetwood Mac at sometimes. These guys hated each other uh, and had to get it together to play and and run season so and also i want to point out that jordan had no problem with all the short jokes and fat jokes oh, staying yeah. in the documentary even though the guy's dead great he was, point. Just, he was just fine with continuing to <laughs> to leave that in there you know i had not thought about that as an editorial decision that he had yeah. overseen on uh but that's a great point brian i, just, I was wondering it's how just, they made that in there it's a great point it's you just the little stuff you know well mm-hmm. also brian like he, I actually think Kraus became sort of a common enemy. I mean, oftentimes, like, teams need that sort of common enemy to rally against. Like, you know, the Warriors, I think, you know, the, the Rockets tended to be, like, a, a pretty good common enemy for them. And before that, it was the Spurs. Um, Zaza Pachulia took care of took care of the Spurs for you, for the, for the uh, Warriors. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think when you have Jerry Krause, even though he was the general manager, he became the guy that they were – you know, rally against in a way. And that, I mean, that's kind of weird in a way, if you think about how a team is constructed. But um, one of the things in covering Phil Jackson out here in Los Angeles, like he was really good at creating a bubble around the team. Like whenever there was a lot of chaos with Shaq and Kobe, there was a lot of chaos always swirling around the Lakers. Like he sort of thrived on that because he would somehow find a way to make 
the locker room, the inner sanctum of the team, the bubble around the team, whatever you want to call it, a safe space, like where they all felt like we're, it's us against everybody. And, you know, I think teams that win it generally tend to find a way to do that. Well, the other thing is, I don't know if Jerry Reinsdorf was, was cool about paying Michael Jordan another $35 million. Now it seems laughable now (laughs) that he wouldn't, but I know that that was a thing that it was like, you know, money has always, I mean, money matters to every owner, but the Bulls have always minded their P's and Q's. And, well, I, and I, I don't know if they could be that profitable paying Jordan. So they had, they had the highest payroll in the league, $66 million. The salary cap in that year in 98 was 29.1. Okay, there was only four, four or five teams. I got this from an article Bobby Marks did at the beginning of this series. There was only four or five teams that had a salary over $40 million. So now you're talking about Michael coming back at you know 35, okay, and Pippen, who ended up getting a five-year, sixty-seven million dollar deal, I think from the from the Rockets, like he's about to get paid. Steve Kerr gets paid. Luke Longley gets paid. All of these guys are about to get paid. So now you're kind of looking at the same decision Joe Lacob had with the Warriors last year, which is, you know, even though back there was no luxury tax back in '98, they could have retained all their own free agents. They couldn't have added to the team. Right. There also wasn't a yeah. uh, a two billion dollar media rights deal. Correct. Either, so you know. that team, we're looking probably if you add all those up, we're we're getting close to a hundred million, and the yeah. salary cap's like twenty nine. Again, I I was not covering the Bulls in nineteen ninety eight, but what I know about Jerry Reinsdorf and the Bulls, that would have made a difference to them. Even though it's kind of laughable now, they haven't had a title in twenty years. Would you have paid Jordan the the thirty five more million to try to win again? They probably would say yes. But yeah. I also will say. Two little things before we move on here. Two little things. Again, number one, how perfect. I just think it, like, it couldn't have been more perfect that Jerry Krause drove a, a boat Cadillac. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, yeah. exactly what you think he would drive. Secondly, this document was the first time I've seen Jerry Reinsdorf in years. He looks fantastic. Yeah. He looks very healthy. He's lost a bunch of weight. He looks great. That was a good sign. Hey, before we continue, I just want to throw this out there. Amazon has spoiled everyone. For smaller companies, if you can't ship fast, you're toast. Like it or not, every customer is now comparing your shipping speed to the world's third largest company. That's where Shippo comes in. Shippo is the only shipping software for growing businesses that you can start today. Set it up in minutes and then ship today because they ship hundreds of millions of packages. Shippo's volume discounts can save you up to 90% off carrier rates. Simply connect your online store to Shippo, no code or technical expertise required, and they will instantly identify the lowest shipping rates from 55-plus top global carriers like UPS, USPS, FedEx, or DHL. Your orders are automatically pulled in and ready to go. Just click, print, and ship. Plus, automated return labels are free. You only pay if your customers use them. Companies that use Shippo save thousands of dollars, free up hours of valuable time, and on average grow 77% year over year. Join 100,000 companies like Goat, Hims, MeUndies, and more who are saving up to 90% off carrier rates with Shippo. And for our listeners, they are offering the best discount available anywhere. Get a free shipping consultation and Shippo's Pro Plan six-month trial for free at goshippo.com slash hoop. That's up to a $700 value for free at goshippo.com slash hoop, H-O-O-P. Go right now and get your shipping consultation and Shippo Pro Plan six-month free trial at goshippo.com slash hoop. 
so Bobby Marks, who's worth his weight in uh, platinum, um, he has cut a couple of stories. You know, there's two things going on to, to force fast forward us to 2020. There's two big things happening in the league right now. One of them is obviously they are trying to figure out a way to fight the virus, to, to be safe, to come back and play. That is a big, giant, unwieldy, amorphous, constantly changing beast that they're working on all the time. The other thing that they're, that they're working on, and you know, it's not as important as the virus, but it's in some ways just as complicated, is they're going to have to make a modification and a significant modification to the collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> you know, this is something that I think mm-hmm. would maybe take a year to negotiate what they're going to try to do, and they're going to have to do it in a couple of weeks here. Bobby wrote a big, long story about some of the stuff um, earlier this week on ESPN Plus, uh, he sent us an in- he sent an internal email to us also this week, um, where he listed like over thirty different things that have to be negotiated. Now, some of them are simple. For example, we've got to change the league year. The league year is not going to end June first. Okay, we have to change right. that. We have to change June thirtieth. June thirtieth. I'm sorry, June thirtieth. Yeah. Um, we have to change when the lottery is. We have to change certain deadlines some of them are more complicated such as there's 40 different players with incentive clauses in their contracts some of them may not be able to be hit so what do you do with those but one of the things that he pointed out that i think is fascinating and could really make a huge difference in the short-term future of the nba is um that there may need to be a new amnesty provision before next season. And what that is, they've done this twice before. And with the possibility that the salary cap and luxury tax line may fall uh, because of the reduced revenues, they would allow a one-time thing where you could waive a player and he comes off of your books. You still actually got to pay the salary. In a lot of cases, the player's contracts are set up. Mm-hmm. That if that happens, the salary gets paid over a number of years. But that you could – Basically, wave a player and, and basically get a get out of jail free card. Um, and I, look, this is just Bobby having. And I will say this: I back Bobby up that this is something under consideration. We don't know for sure if it's going to happen. We just know that it's something the teams are talking about as a possibility. And oh my gosh, if that happens, this was going to be a pretty lame free agency. If that happens, guys, we could see some big time action uh, mm-hmm. because there's going to be some teams who are, I think are going to be forced to look at it. So, so Kirk, let me start with you. Let's just, you know, if you were working in a front office right now, I think you'd have to prepare for the concept of the amnesty that your own team might make. And also that other teams might make, who are some names that you think may come available suddenly on the free agent market. If this amnesty thing is needed. Well, you just look at, uh, at at big contracts that that are are underperforming, and it's not that the players are necessarily bad, but the contract is a monster. So you have players like John Wall or Blake Griffin, Al Horford's been a bad fit in Philadelphia. Uh, Chris Paul uh, just has a massive. Well, number. hold on, whoa, 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 I know that one. I might, slow, I might beg to differ. Slow down. I'm not saying they will, but yeah. those are the no. contracts that I would first look at, Brian. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Let's, let's go one at a time. So Detroit, now I think an important point here is that you can't just look at the contract. So Blake Griffin is owed about 70, 
eight million dollars over the next two seasons. Um, he's had another knee surgery. He's he played great two years ago. Was an all star. Had yeah. knee surgery. Took him to the playoffs. Um, so, and you know, the thing is, Ramona, if you're a team like the Lakers who who won't have cap space and may not yeah. have. You're like licking your chops, going, yeah. Let's have an amnesty. Let's uh, let's get Very some guys hard. on the market who don't need who don't need to worry about money, or if you're the Clippers, or if you're any top level team, but certainly a team like the Lakers who are still building their roster. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to look at a team would would use an amnesty because I because I already can tell you that instantaneously yeah. every person I've talked to in the league have heard about amnesty. The first word out of their mouth. First name out of their mouth was just like what Kirk said, Blake Griffin. Um, but the Pistons, you only really use the amnesty to to get out of jail. The Pistons are in line for big for big salary cap space. Even if they don't have the salary cap space, they don't have problems on their on their books. Like Reggie Jackson's coming off their books, Brandon Ooh. Knight's coming off their books. John Henson's coming off their books. The, one of the reasons they did the Andre Drummond trade to, to bring in Henson and Knight was to get uh, off of their book, to get those guys off of their books. Um, so I don't think it's necessary. He's their best player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if they're used, you know, use the amnesty, I think they may more likely use it on Tony Snell, who makes $12 million as mm. anybody else. Um, I would be surprised if, Blake is let go because they're way they're, they're good. Even if the cap falls dramatically, they're nowhere near the cap line. So, well, so, go ahead. Okay. So here's the thing with Blake is that now he has two years left on his deal, which is in that territory where you could probably move a guy like that in his last year. So it's, it's really just a matter of, is there enough upside left with, with Blake to, you know, in terms of star power? I mean, when he was healthy, he was an all-star and took him to the playoffs. And had Detroit rocking again, right? Like, you know, I, I don't know that they were a contender, but they, but you know, they. It's important for Detroit to make the playoffs. That meant something in that city, right? That meant something to that franchise. Well, it's um, something to the owner. Yeah, and and so I think you know they have to really get a good handle on where he's at medically. I think that's a big one. Um, but you know, I think that what what about a guy like Russell Westbrook? Where? All right, well, hold on. We're, we're going to go one at a time here. Okay. So, all right, we're we'll going uh, one at a time. Okay. So. <laughs> so Kirk, where are you with uh where are you with uh with Blake? Well, uh, I think that Blake's a great one to think about because as you pointed out Brian, the, the Pistons aren't in the tax. You know. Right. Well, let me let me step back. We don't know where the number is. And so True. the strategy True. groups, the cap groups around the league are preparing for everything yeah. because they don't know. And one thing I talked to a few cap guys today uh, in, in the Western Conference, and the thing they'll tell you, number one, is they haven't heard anything. They don't know what to expect. Will the mm. cap be 109 and the tax be 133? Will it be 90 and 110? Yeah. Nobody knows. Do you know how hard it is for these guys to do their jobs just with those numbers in flux? Um, you mentioned a great point, too, about incentives. Um, and then you, you look at the, the restricted right. free agents of the world. I mean, the the toughest job in the NBA right now, I don't know what it is, Brian, but it might be the cap guy. They have to prepare for so many different scenarios, and they haven't heard what the league is going to do yet. So back to Blake Griffin. The Pistons are in pretty good shape, as you said, with regards to the cap and the tax. Now, 
So what would be their motivation to just send Blake Griffin out of their environment and keep paying him, by the way? The owner does not get that money back. That's right. It goes, very it goes to Blake Griffin. Um, and then on the flip side of that, let's say they do it. Blake Griffin's not going to go sign a minimum somewhere. He's probably still going to go get at least a mid-level, probably more than that, somewhere yes, else. Yes, but that's more than – like if you're the Lakers, not that, not that he would go to the Lakers – but if you're a team with a mid-level, that's a better player than you can probably get with the mid-level. No, I, so you might be willing to do that. That's why I think it's a bad idea from the league's perspective. I think it would create sort of more incentive for these super teams in the 10 markets that are already getting all the free agents to begin with. So That's a good yeah. point. So, all right. So now the, the, I think the more interesting one is John Wall. John Wall is coming off of a terrible Achilles injury. He's been injury prone, although a couple years ago when he signed this big contract, I think it was two years ago. He had had the best year of his career. Now, he has $133 million, three Ooh. years and $133 million left on his deal. Um, now, again, Ted Leonsis would have to pay it. But if you were Washington and you decided that you wanted to rebuild – and by the way, this the, the amnesties of the past have had a – deadline on it you don't get to watch him for three months mm-hmm. of the season and then decide you have to decide before the season starts um you know i haven't seen john wall work out for all i know he's 100 percent back um but if you were washington and you decided you wanted to rebuild um you could bring into the concept of well we could amnesty john wall if the amnesty is there and we could trade bradley beal now that's a major move because mm. you'd basically be starting over uh but if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it because if John Wall's – to your point, Ramona, John Wall is two years away from the last year of his deal um, and Bradley Beal is only um, – you know, he, he can uh, – see, he's got two – he signed an extension where he added one year to his deal. Yeah. But um, next year he can be a free agent after next season I think. And that's not what this says. But anyway, um, I think it's a little bit bigger of a – Something that you would, I think, spend longer time if you're Washington. So, um, do you do at. you play fantasy hoops, Brian? Do you, do you ever not. do that? No. Kurt, you play. No, fantasy? I don't. So no. there's always these guys. There's always these guys that you draft on your roster when you know, like at the beginning of a season, you draft them knowing they're hurt, and you you, know, you kind of read, oh, projected back in November, projected back in January, whatever it is. And you know, sometimes you can get like you know all star level players because like really late in the draft, you just kind of take a flyer on somebody. And, and oftentimes they'll sit on your roster, sit on your bench like forever, and they take up a roster spot, and it, it kind of matters in fantasy hoops, right? Because you just you need you need the roster spot. But if the guy's good enough, you'll let him sit there because the upside of him coming back like could win you the league in the last couple of m- months of the season if they come back and they're great. I kind of think that's where John Wall is. Like he's so good that you kind of have to wait. Like you don't want to have let him sit out for over two years right with these injuries and when he finally comes back like if he goes to another team and he's john wall again like you are really going to be kicking yourself i mean right well i'm just saying though like, i don't know uh you could have to you know he, he, here's what i would say if if i was instructed by tommy shepherd their general manager to come up with the opposition statement i could say well if we waived john wall with now it, we 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 would cost us nothing if if he doesn't come back strong. It could cost us first round picks multiple to get off of that contract. Right. Um, but I, I haven't seen him play. For all I know, he's going to be 100. Yeah. Um, percent I just think he's got now. Chris Paul. Mm, that is a good one. 
Okay, so he's got two years <laughs> and uh, eighty-five million left. He obviously has been great this season. Yeah. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's hard to know exactly where their finances are. Um, they are owned generally by a bunch of oil and gas folks, and the oil industry has been slammed. I mean, all industries have been slammed, specifically that industry. Um, so I don't know. What I will say is this. Gallinari, Danilo Gallinari, and Andre Roberson are coming off of their books this year. So they're clearing off $33 bucks with those two guys. Now, they may want to resign Gallinari, but um, they are not going to be under – you know, unless the unless the the tax falls humongously, if they wanted to, they could um, they could uh, probably not have to, to to slice off a player to get out of the tax. Um, considering all the all the draft picks they have in the future, considering Chris Paul still has gas left in the tank, there's no way I would consider this. Uh, I would I would much rather try to trade Chris Paul. If I wanted to get out from that salary because he still has value, Kirk, do you do you disagree with that at all? No, I, in fact, I agree with it wholeheartedly, and I go on to say, you know the Thunder were one of my favorite teams to watch uh, heading into the pandemic. They looked like a, a a real problem come playoff team, and I wouldn't I don't know who they were going to get in the first round of the playoffs, but whoever that was was going to be unhappy about that matchup because they were playing very very well, and they're like core rotation was among the most elite sort of um, groups in in the league. And so Chris's contract like eight months ago looked like a nightmare. Um, And then, you know, right before the pandemic and the game canceled uh, in Oklahoma City, the Rudy Gobert game, you know, that contract sort of changed its appearance. It's still a monster number. Don't get me wrong. But Chris still looked like he said gas in the tank. So. Look, the the last thing I, th- I think that's really important to say here, Brian, is we don't know what the, the salary cap number is. And I know I already said that, but without that information, these cap decisions are really hard to, to make. If the cap number comes in at $90 million and then we're looking at 25 tax bills around the league, which is a huge other issue, by the way, um, man, then Chris Paul's contract looks like X. If, if they artificially prop up the – the BRI and the, and the salary cap somehow, and we're still at 110 and a 130 tax, then we're having a different conversation. So when that decision sure. comes For down sure. from the league, all of these things become very different conversations. Yeah, Ramona, I just like I I can already see if the if the amnesty and you know for all I yeah. know, people at the league are listening to this podcast screaming, "There's not going to be an amnesty." <laughs> yeah, but um, we we just don't know. Yeah. But um, I I can hear the Laker fans. I can hear them on 710 LA, ESPN <laughs> LA, the day the amnesty comes out, thinking that Chris Paul is going to be a Laker. Um, Finally, at be, long it, last, after it would all be, these years. Yeah, all <laughs> it, it, it would be amazing. But, um, like, I, I just don't and know. And then Adam Silver will say, for basketball reasons, we can't. <laughs> that's, one can't let that happen. that's one of the yeah. all time amazing statements. Uh, rest in peace, David Stern, basketball reasons. Yeah. Holy Moses. Um, well, look, I, you know, I, I think what, um, I'm with you guys. I, I don't think I would amnesty Chris Paul. I think he's too good. Like he's what Chris Paul's done is exactly what you would have hoped he would have done this year, which was reestablish his value in the league. He's taken what was a, kind of a throwaway year for the thunder, right? Like this was a year that, you know, had they, had they bottomed out and ended up as a lottery team. Like, I think their fans would have accepted it. They understood like, it, it, you know, I know Sam Presti was kind of trying to walk that line and not completely demolish things right away because he had a respect for 
the fan base and that had supported the team, you know, during the Westbrook era and, and, um, and all of that. And so it doesn't come crashing down, but you know, I don't think they would have minded a lottery pick, but it, it turned out he reestablishes his value and props everybody else up too, where I think he helped Steven Adams trade value. I think he helps, um, you know, the, the entire team and they're actually a really dangerous team. So I, I don't think you need to trade him because he has the, one of the reasons why the Thunder liked this deal in the first place, why this made sense for them is that he had one less year on his contract than Westbrook, right? Um, mm. You know, Westbrook had one more, one more year. Um, and that extra year matters when, when, you, when you think about trade value and, and especially with a contract as big as that. All right. Well, you mentioned Westbrook. Uh, I will give you the numbers. Mm. Um, let me here we go. Here. Um, why can't I find? Okay, here we go. So he has, good God, he's got three years left at about the same number as John Wall in the neighborhood of $133 million. Um, the issue here is, you know, you can't replace them and you've got James Harden on your roster, your, your championship window. Yeah. Although, uh, the remark that I've had about the Rockets, um, is that they've gotten worse over the last three years. Um, uh, but whatever, you know, they still believe they're going to make some run this year. And I hope that they, for their sake, that they do. Um, they're hugely invested in this work. Yeah. They've, they've traded away a bunch of first round picks going forward. Although I don't know the protections off, off the top of my head. Right. Um, they're not positioned to do anything, but continue to roll with this bunch. They, they signed Eric Gordon to a, um, contract extension where he's got four years and like 70 something million left on his contract. He's not tradable. They, they, they went all in on this small ball by trading for Robert Covington. It was yep. a couple of years left. Um, I agree that they could get to 2022 and say, boy, we may have wanted the amnesty, um, <laughs> back two yeah. years ago, but I just, Kirk, I don't think they can do that. I, I think it doesn't doesn't match with where they're going as an organization. Well, that's a, where is this team going as an organization is a great question. I mean, the new ownership, a coach in a lame duck situation with this contract expiring, James Harden. Uh, Eric Gordon's another amnesty candidate, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, hey, and, you know, they've been sliding down that Western Conference standings. I know it seems like ancient history now. One, one more thing on the Thunder. They had the best record in the NBA in the last 10 games leading up to the to the stoppage in play. That's how good they were playing. And Houston wasn't playing terribly, but they were sliding down. Remember, they were the sixth seed. Uh, D'Antoni in the last year of his deal, these two super max contracts, um, and, and an owner that was getting a reputation for being impatient or, or antsy. So who knows where this was going, but if I, I would say the answer would be a lot more clear in the offseason coming up. Um, if they played well in the playoffs, bring it back. If they don't, they're going to make some big changes. And you talk about big offseason changes, Brian, the Houston Rockets, whether it's a coaching change or one of those two players, both potentially on the move, depending on how drastic they go. Look, that's a team to watch. So it, it brings the question, well, who might get amnestied? If I'm skeptical about all these other guys, who might get amnestied? So I went looking. I'm not so sure it's going to be that many, buddy. Like one of the guys who you would think off the top of your head, you know, give me the worst contracts in the mm-hmm. NBA. You would think of Nick Batum. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nick Batum uh, is owed $27 million last year. was pretty much taken out of the rotation. Charlotte this year as they've gone young. But Charlotte has Bismack Biombo. They already released Marvin Williams, Michael Kidd Gilchrist coming off of their books. Um, 
their payroll dips way down next year. Uh, now, granted, they are in the middle of a youth movement. They're, you know, they're going to hope to get a, a good draft pick here, and they're going to, you know, build around their young guys. Um, but I don't see Michael Jordan paying Nicholas Batum twenty-seven million dollars and not getting him to play for him. Um, uh, so even Batum, it just it like it does. I don't think it necessarily helps with where the Hornets are going. I think one way to look at it, Brian, is you look at teams that are in really bad tax situations. Ah, right. there you go. So, and the Philadelphia 76ers yep. come to mind. Okay. So, first off, I want to say the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> um, they have the highest payroll in the league. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. Who knows? Um, now, I don't think they're waving C.J. McCollum, but I do think that you could see a guy like Trevor Ariza who's on the books for $13 million, although it's not fully guaranteed, um, I don't think. But that could be the type of name that gets uh, that gets waived. Um, oh, but to go to your point, right now they have on their books for next season because of Ben Simmons' extension kicking in, they are on the books for $147 million in payroll. These are their top salaries next year. Tobias Harris 34 million, Al Horford 27.5, Joel Embiid 29.5, Ben Simmons 29 million. We don't even really know that number yet cuz but that's what it's projected at right now. Uh Josh Richardson 10.8 million. Um Kirk, if that cap number comes down. Right. Good god. The good uh, god. That's <laughs> one big payment from the Sixers ownership to the to the NBA. So, yeah, they're looking at Al Horford, I think, because Al Horford has not added a lot to his team, um, but represents a huge, not only a huge uh, check, which they'd still have to pay, but brings them into that very punitive zone in the, in the luxury tax. I think if the tax stayed normal for next year, right. they'd be just doing just off the top of my head math. I think they'd be staring at over $30 million in, in payments for next year if, the, if things were normal. And Horford is at, let's see – about seventy-five million, about seventy-seven million, over the next three years. I don't think that that fourth year is not fully guaranteed, so it's probably not quite that high. But it's in the neighborhood of seventy million for the next three years. Um, well, there is oof. another. There is another scenario though that I've heard kicked around, which is that you, if the salary cap goes down, if the luxury tax line goes down, you could also sort of forgive the delta between what the, the luxury cap tax would like what ends up at and what it was projected to be. So like if the projection was supposed to be here and it ends up being $20 million less, right? Like I'm tossing out a number. You don't penalize the teams that were counting on that 20 million, right? It's almost like the reverse of force majeure. It's like you shouldn't have to pay the, an extra pandemic tax in a way. I agree with that. And, and I think they would, I don't think they would, would kill a team like that. Having said that, it's one thing to be okay with, like, like, let's just say they leave the luxury tax line mm-hmm. exactly where it is. It's one thing to be okay with paying 20 or 30 million in tax when you're bringing mm-hmm. a sellout into your building and you're thinking yeah. this is what your revenues are going to be. You project your revenues out. It's another, even if you forget the luxury tax, even if they, let's just say they abolish the luxury tax for yeah. a year. Okay. Yeah. Are the Sixers in a position where they want to have $150 million payroll? with what their revenues are going to be next year. I mean, that's, that's another, well, that's another question too. Here's what I think the question is. It's not about this year. It's about next year. Right. Um, everybody I talk to these days, like, 
you know, as much as everybody wants to finish out the season and that's the most pressing issue, um, lurking like the big giant blinking light. Okay. It's like next year, next year, next year. What is that really going to look like? How much, um, how much are fans going to be able to come back if at all, when, um, and that I think is the, that is the big scary thing for a lot of people right now, financially, where, um, if I could say to you right now, okay, league's going to start December 25th. Uh, they're going to get all 82 games in. Uh, they'll just have less off days and maybe the all-star break will be shorter or we won't have an all-star break or whatever. Um, okay. But do you feel confident in that? I don't. I don't know where the state of the world is going to be and the state of fans attending games again is going to be by December. We could be in the middle of a second wave. And I think that is um, a far bigger concern right now than even trying to project anything, which is, which is simply not what's the best case scenario, but what is the worst case scenario? Yeah. The other team, I think that's got a sky high payroll um, committed to next year is, is the Brooklyn Nets. Mm. Um, But I don't see I mean, DeAndre Jordan would be the guy that I would talk about. Yeah. But is that allowed? Not, that, I don't that, think it's allowed. I don't think it's allowed. <laughs> um, so I, I don't, you know, I don't, like cutting off the friendship bracelet, right? Then they right, all, I, it may affect, <laughs> like, uh, by the way, um, the Nets are still paying Darren Williams. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. And, and I think the Pistons are still paying, um, Josh Smith. The, Net, the, the, the Pistons are still paying Josh Smith. <laughs> oh, and my the, goodness. Uh, the Bucks are still paying Larry Sanders. Wow. But uh, it's, it's it's extinguished next year. Uh, Darren Williams is extinguished next year. But um, the the challenge I think is going to be, you know, we're not going to really know until until we until we see what the numbers are. But I think you have to prepare. So here's so okay. So how about some people I think are getting who I think are getting amnestied. Regardless, I don't think this is going to excite anybody. But some people, some guys who are getting amnestied who, who make it who make it so regardless of where. Uh, their team's cap position are one of them to me is um, Cristiano F- Felicio from uh, from the Bulls. Um, I, I just think the Bulls could do something better with that space. Uh, any disagreements there? Again, I would just say yeah that they could probably replace the contract with with a better value contract and a better player. Um, I'd have to know what their their tax situation to really expect it uh well they got they one of the, they've got one of the lowest payrolls in the league yeah. you know? um dante exum maybe from the Cavs. um Cavs are kind of stacked at the guard position i mean he would be <laughs> a a trade asset in theory you'd, you'd keep him because he's, he's in the last year of his contract but these are the kind of um unfortunately the kind of names that are not unfortunately but uh are the kind of names that you know would probably be in play um you know minnesota has a pretty high payroll this year they've got the sixth highest payroll this mm-hmm. year but that payroll drops down next year because they've got evan turner and alan crab on their books because one of the guys i thought was maybe uh james johnson um but when now when evan turner and alan crab come off of their books um their payroll comes down um there's one more know, high profile team you have to mention in this conversation okay Golden state warriors the Golden right? state warriors and and in ramona to your point yeah. Um, if there's some sort of forgiveness of tax in the next year, some Western Conference teams are not going to be very happy because the team right. who's finally going to get it have to pay. Have <laughs> finally have to pay is going to get right. off the hook. So teams like the Clippers or 
the Lakers might be outraged that if, if the league gives the uh, the Warriors a huge break on this this huge tax. Bill. Let me go over the Warriors' top salaries: Steph Curry, forty three million; Clay Thompson, thirty five million; Andrew Wiggins. Mm. Still don't like the trade. Twenty nine five million. Draymond Green, whose new extension kicks in next year, twenty two million. Um, their payroll next year is one hundred forty five million. Um, I, I think uh, the, the last guy on my list here for a candidate to be the amnesty would be Kevon Looney. Um, it's not that much money, but he has a pretty severe injury. Um, he only makes five million next year. Why, but, not Wiggins? Uh, Why not Wiggins, Brian? Well, I mean, it's so here. Let me just say, boy, this they the, really went through a lot of gymnastics to come out of the. That's true. <laughs> to that's to true. get Wiggins, I mean, it's like it's literally like. I think that to me is like the definition of a sunk cost. Like you're just, you did so much maneuvering and gymnastics just to get yourself an asset or somebody you consider an asset moving forward. Um, I don't know that they would move off it just that, just that quickly. Just for financial reasons. Wiggins is owed about 90 million over the next three years. Um, The thing about it is, again, we'll go back. Joe Lacob and Peter Guber still have to pay the salary. Um, but the Warriors are uniquely impacted by this. Number one, mm-hmm. the, the taxes they get. Number two, that they were expecting the Chase Center to be an absolute ATM machine, and yeah. I still think it will be. But but they have not only you know the mortgage that they you know this is what they have on their team, but the mortgage that they have for that building. You know they spent like one point five billion to get that building there. Um, and you know, with, you know, these men are rich men, but they are not Steve Ballmer. (laughs) Um, uh, and so they, I'm sure facing a cash crunch because they, when they put this building up and spared no expense, um, and also invested heavily in the area around the arena, thinking Mm -hmm. that was going to be a cash cow that faucet is turned off. And again, let's just say the luxury tax is wiped away for next season. I don't know if the Warriors want to operate with a $145 million payroll with unable to bring fans into that building. And let's be honest, in California, it's more likely they're not going to have fans than opposed than, say, Texas or Georgia or Florida. And I want to point out, they've got this Andre Iguodala tax. This, uh, <laughs> I would say that that looks really unlikely to be used at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, a $17 million trade exception, which if they use for the full 17 would push their payroll to over 160 million in this environment. I just don't see that happening. So, um, and I don't necessarily think that. I guess if Wiggins' contract has a spread provision, which it could be spread out, it could you could you could limit the harm because you would reduce the amount you would need him. But Kirk, I gotta believe that this is a conversation that's been had in the Golden State front office. Oh yeah, I mean, they, I think they have 145 million, as we said, and in a world where the the cap is down to to 100, let's say, which is a relatively conservative decline, man, and the tax is at 120, they're going to have a huge, huge bill due. Um, and so, how do you get off some money? Well, trade is is the one way, and uh, an amnesty, if there's something like that, is the other. Um, so. I one more thing have- I want to point out. One more thing I want to point out. The number one picks. Let's say they get the number one pick. Hooray! 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 Yeah, right. that guy right. now makes number one pick. I mean, we'll see what the CBA does, but that guy now makes ten million a year. Mm-hmm. Even if he gets the number two pick, it's like nine million. So, one forty-five is what we're talking about. You know, let's say they do get a top three pick. Now we're over one fifty, mid one fifties. 
We still haven't talked about, you know, doing anything with the rest of their roster. So, um, all right. Well, uh, who knows? Maybe there'll be no amnesty and that'll be a waste of time. But I, <laughs> I think it's something that, uh, should be being considered in front offices for sure. But, uh, hey, Ramona, thank you for, uh, sharing the details of that, uh, Reinsdorf story. Please check that out. And thank you very much for joining us. Kirk, as always, thank you so much for br- bringing your expertise. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. 